The following is from East Delta Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at www.eastdeltabc.com. There's got to be conflict, right? Or there's got to be something we're surviving. And our last few weeks we've been talking about surviving different things that we come in contact with. Uh, conflicts are not uncommon in the workforce, in the friendship, in marriage, uh, even in ministry. Uh, conflicts are not uncommon. Uh, I heard this story about a preacher and a song leader who got into it, and uh, if that happens, you might stand aside. One week, the preacher preached on commitment and how we should move forward in doing for others and services others, and after the sermon, the song leader got up and led the congregation in, I shall not be moved. The next Sunday, the preacher preached on giving, how we should gladly give to the work of the Lord, and Following that, the song leader got up and said, uh, led a song, Jesus paid it all. The next Sunday, the preacher preached on gossip and how we should watch what we say and shouldn't wag our tongues. And at the end of the sermon, the song leader got up and led the congregation in, I love to tell the story. Uh, following that, the preacher was disgusted over the situation. The next Sunday, he told the congregation he was considering resigning the music director led the congregation in, oh, why not tonight? And uh, the next Sunday, the preacher resigned, and uh, he told the church that Jesus had led him away to another church, and the song leader led the song, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. So uh, there can be conflict uh, in all areas. I told you last week we are talking about marriage, and I'm glad you came back today. Uh, I heard a story about three men who began talking about their wives. The first one said, when I got married, I told my wife in no uncertain terms that from now on she would do all the cooking. Well, the first day I saw nothing. The second day I saw nothing. On the third day when I came home from work, the table was set. A wonderful dinner was prepared. We even had a dessert. The next man said, I sat down, my wife down and told her from now on she would do all the shopping and also all the cleaning. The first day I saw nothing. The second day I saw nothing. But the third day when I came home, the whole house was spotless. The pantry and the shelves were all filled with groceries. The third man sat straight up, pushed his chest out and said, I gave my wife a stern look and told her that from now on she would have to do all the cooking, all the shopping, all the house cleaning. Well, the first day I saw nothing. The second day I still saw nothing. But on the third day, I could see a little bit out of my left eye. Uh, So conflicts. Uh, You know Americans have one of the highest rates of marriage in the world. Uh, America believes in marriage. Now, uh, marriage is under attack in America, but Americans believe in marriage. Ninety percent of, uh, actually 96 percent, of all Americans do marry at some point of their life. Eighty percent of those who are divorced remarry, so they still believe in marriage. Marriage is something that that we we believe in and we uh, we practice here. And if you ask the average American what are the ingredients of a good life, most all will put being happy in marriage is near the top of how to have a good life. So when we think about that, we, we realize that there are, there are uh, Americans today who want to have good marriages, and, and America, by the vast majority, do marry, do get married. Uh, seven stages for a cold, a cold couple. Uh, I think we've, we've gone over these a year or two ago, 
But these are, these are somebody called the seven stages of a cold in a marriage. Okay, a cold in a marriage. The first year of marriage, the husband says, Honey, I'm worried about you, little girl. You have a bad sniffle, and I want to put you in the hospital for a couple of days for a checkup. I know the food's terrible there, but I've arranged for meals to be brought in from Valentini's for you while your stay is there. The second year, he says, listen, sweetheart, I don't like the sound of that cough, so I've called the doctor. I've said that he can bring, I can bring you by this afternoon, so just rest in bed until it's time to go, uh, and then I'll take you. The third year, he says, maybe you should lie down, dear. I'll make supper tonight. Do we have any cans of soup in the house? Uh, year number four, look, dear, be sensible. After you've fed the kids and washed the dishes, you ought to go to bed. The fifth year, why don't you take a couple of aspirin or something? The sixth year, please gargle or something instead of sitting around barking like a seal. I think I'll sleep on the couch tonight. Year number seven, would you stop sneezing? What are you trying to do? Give me pneumonia? I think you ought to sleep on the couch tonight. That's the, that's the seven stages of a common cold in a marriage. We chuckle because it sounds familiar sometimes, doesn't it? It kind of evolves that way in marriage. Every marriage has problems from the very beginning, from the honeymoon, all the way on through. Why would I say that? I, I, I've been involved in five weddings already this year, and I have two more that I know of that are coming up, one in September and one in October. And uh, so I've talked to a lot of couples over the last three or four months about marriage. And, and these particular things, no, I've got, I've got three more coming up. Uh, no, just two, just two, okay? I, boy, I looked, at, I looked at you and I thought, Dad, I forgot about Cade, but no, Cade's in there. Y'all are in October or September, right? October, yeah, so uh, your grandson's in September, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> all right. Boy, I've been panicked. I panicked Saturday before last. Somebody said they was going to a wedding. My heart sunk. I thought, oh, shoot, I was supposed to do a wedding day. I forgot about it. But uh, but I, I've kind of told some of the same things. Every, every marriage is going to have some struggles. If you're married and you've had struggles, say amen. Isn't that true? I mean, it's just going to happen, and we need to understand that. Partners struggle with their weaknesses. They struggle with their differences. Uh, and usually those crises are because of differences. Every marriage has some type of conflict. And, you know, even marriages uh, that sometimes share more pain than more happiness is just because of conflict. And so often that conflict is because of selfish ways. Now, we've talked a lot about that, but it's true and if you really think about it, I think that's a true statement. The reason conflicts comes and the reason there's so much struggle in marriage is one person wants it this way and one person wants it that way, so naturally there's conflict there. And, and the Bible has a lot to say about having a good marriage, and, and maybe you have a, a good marriage, maybe you have a marriage that could be better. All marriages have conflicts, but not all marriages are in trouble. Just because you're having a conflict doesn't mean your marriage is in trouble. It just means maybe it could be a little better. And, and it's kind of like a journey. I talked about this in a, a wedding yesterday. You know, marriage is a, is a journey, and you're starting a journey. 
And, and you're going to move through life. There's going to be some hills. There's going to be some valleys. There's going to be some good times. There's going to be some bad times. There's going to be some highs. There's going to be some lows. On this journey, just like if you were traveling to Colorado, you know, there's going to be some times that you're just out on flat surface. Then there's going to be some times you're climbing hills and sometimes you're going in valleys. There's going to be cool weather and warm weather. You're going to experience all of those things in, in traveling. And you're going to do the same thing on marriage. So... This morning, we're going to talk about, we've been talking about how to survive in the real world. We're going to talk about how to survive marriage. And I want to tell you, uh, I don't speak on this from a, from a position of authority or seniority or superiority. Now, I thought my wife would say amen right there. She would, but she's learned to be quiet in church, maybe. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> hey, that's just free, but... But I'll tell you what I do have. I've been married 32 years, and uh, uh, we've learned some things in our marriage. Now, probably one of the reasons I hesitate on preaching about this is I don't always do all of these things I'm going to talk about. And I say all like this. But if we go over to Genesis chapter 2, I want to just, I want to just start out with, with the very first institution that God formed upon the earth. The very first thing he formed... In Genesis chapter 2, we can go down and start in verse 18. The Lord God said, it's not good for a man to be alone. So I'll make a suitable helper for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air. And he brought them to man to see what they would be named and what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the air, all the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God called the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took a rib from the man's side and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made woman from the rib that he had taken out of the man... And he brought her unto the man, and he said, Now this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman, for she was taken out of a man. Look at number 24. We're talking about the first, the first thing that God constituted on the earth, we find in verse 24. And for that reason, for this reason of God created man, he created woman, he created them to come together and be as one flesh, for that reason... A man shall leave his father and his mother and shall be united to his wife and they shall become one flesh. Now we could preach that right there, couldn't we? We could preach to husbands and wives that you are to leave the home and you become one. We could preach to mothers and dads. Mother and dad, they've left your home. Let them go, okay? Let them grow. Let them understand. Let them, let them have their marriage. But, but I'm not going to talk about that this morning. I just wanted us to see that, that God has put together, he's ordained the institution of marriage. So it's a good thing. It's something that, that God wants us to be a part of. And, and we begin to look at this. God has a plan and a purpose for marriage, amen? The world has a thought about what marriage is, Right? And we as Christians, we don't need to, to be formed into the ideal of what society said marriage is. Now, I'm not going to get into a, a big discussion this morning about 
what women want and need and what men want and need. I have a, a great thing that I've been going through with uh, these couples that I've been talking to, and I want to preach about that one of these days. But today, I simply want to give you ten commandments for marriage, five for the ladies and five for the men. All right, and, and ladies, if you came this morning thinking, oh boy, you know, we're going to talk about submission, and I've heard that over and over. Well, the Bible talks about equally submitting to God. I'm not going to talk about this morning, so you can relax on that. But in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9 through 12, I read this in the wedding yesterday. This is what God's Word says, Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12. Two are better than one. Because they have good reward for their labor. For if they fall down, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who, when he falls, no one is there to help him up. Again, if two lie down together, they keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. And therefore, a cord of three strands is not easily broken." So these Ten Commandments, we're going to look at those, and we're going to kind of refer back to that passage of Scripture just a little bit. But the first five commandments are for wives. So we're going to start with y'all, ladies first always, so we'll start with that. These commandments for men and women are drawn from uh, the art of understanding your mate. So they're not just my ideals, okay? They've, they're from a book there called The Art of Understanding Your Mate. Cecil Osborne wrote it. So here's the first for you ladies. Now, you can agree or disagree, but I just want to give them to you, and I want you to give them some thought this morning. The first commandment is this. Give up on your quest for a perfect marriage. Okay? Give up on that quest. Now, the thing I thought about when I was putting this kind of together is a lot of folks we have, you've been married a long time. We've been married several years, and, and we have some folks that have been married a short time here. So... So just if you want to have this discussion with someone that's been married a long time or someone that's been married a short while, this is something good to think about. Give up on your quest for a perfect marriage. Marriage is the most difficult and complex uh, of all human relationships, and it requires patience. All right. Y'all hear what Denise did? She went, mm if you can't say amen, say ouch this morning, okay? It does. It requires patience. If you don't believe that, ask somebody that's been married a while. It, it requires skill. It, it requires tact. Now listen, it requires emotional and spiritual growth, doesn't it? I mean, when you first get married and, and you have this picture of this perfect marriage, there's some emotional growth that has to take place to realize we kind of need to grow, give up on that. Now listen, we can grow a good marriage. You can grow a good marriage. You, you can get to that point, but it takes some work. You've got to be willing to work at that, and, and it's an ongoing process, and, and we may need to adopt the philosophy of the woman that, that responded to the pastor. He went and asked her about uh, did you not take your husband for better or worse? And she said, he can't get much worse. There's no hope of him getting any better, so I'm just going to take him like he is. Well, that's not real bad advice, is it? So, so think about this. Give up on that quest for a, a perfect marriage, but grow a good marriage. Put, invest some time. Invest in that good marriage. Wise and a patient wife is makes a good husband. You can develop that husband into being a good husband if you're wise, if you're wise, if you're patient. 
Seldom do men come ready-made. Ladies, you can say amen this morning. I was just kidding about that being quiet in church. Uh, so, so let's hear it. Number two, give up all hope of changing your husband, listen, through criticism or attack. Men, y'all are scared to death of your wives there. That's hilarious. I ain't saying nothing. Ladies, you're not going to change uh, your husband through criticism or, or through attack. It's just not going to happen. You can't make your husband more thoughtful by complaining about his, his unthoughtfulness. It, that just doesn't happen. Such tacit tactics usually have one of two results. Number one, the husband is going to retreat, or number two, he's going to become hostile. Isn't that right? I mean, when you try to, when you try to create something by criticism or by attack, it's going to really change and go the other direction. Now, here's the thing. We can only change who? Ourselves. That's the only person we can really change. And, and so if we change ourselves, others tend to react to our change, don't they? If we begin to change and begin to do certain things, well, well just naturally the other people begin to change too. They kind of begin to follow along. So, so give up making demands. Give up that martyr syndrome and, and start saying, here's what I want him to be. Now, now, men, don't poke your chest out too far. It's coming, okay? But ladies, don't say, that's ridiculous. I would never do it. Well, why not? I mean, become what you want your husband to be and, and see if that don't bring along some change. You know the problem with that? What is it? It's selfishness. Now, I'm not saying you're selfish, ladies. Men, you're, we're the same way. The reason we, want, we don't want, well, that sounds so unpopular is, is, well, I don't want to do that. He just needs to change. Here's the third thing. Give praise and affection instead of seeking it. Now listen, Ephesians 4.29, listen to what it says. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary and necessary for edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. You need to be your husband's biggest fan. Now, husbands would probably never tell you this. And honestly, I'm not sure all husbands would know this even, but one of a husband's deepest needs is to be admired. He wants to be admired. He, he wants to know that you value him, that you respect him. He wants to know that you respect what he does. He wants you to be proud of him. That's... Men, we're just kind of getting vulnerable today, but that's, that's where men are. And, and giving praise and affection instead of seeking it out, that's going to build your relationship with your husband. Uh, if your friends know only about what you say about your husband, what do they think of him? I want you just to think about that. If your friends only know your husband but what you say about him, and that's when he's gone, what do they think of your husband? When you're around other women, don't rag on your husband. Brag on your husband. You say, well, you're a man up there, and you're telling us this stuff. Well, I'm just telling you. That's, listen to the word. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good for necessary and edification and building up and impart grace to the hearers. So when you're around, don't rag, brag, and say good things to others. And you know what? It'll pay dividends in your relationship. Amen? It's getting weaker. Okay? Number four, we're just three points, folks. We got a lot more to go. Number four, do things your husband likes to do. 
Do things your husband likes to do. Listen to Ecclesiastes again. Two people can accomplish more than twice as much as one. This is the New Living Translation. Two people can accomplish more than twice as much as one. They get a far better return for their labor. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help them. But people who are alone, when they fall, they're in real trouble. Ladies, your husband may not tell you this, and the truth is guys want to be with their wives, and honestly, they want their wives to be their best friend. You may say, I don't believe that. That's true. I believe that's true. Guys want to do things with their wife. They want them to hang around. That, I'm not saying get on them like a tick and don't ever get off, you know what I mean? But, but they want you to be around. We want, we want our wives to be with us. We want us to go enjoy some things and, and share some of our interests. And, and Denise comes to the deer lease, and I love that. And she don't like going to the deer lease, but she does that for me, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty weak, too. She does that because the kids are there. But, but anyway, uh, enjoy spending time with your husband, doing some, some intimate things and, and just having fun together. You know, as you get married and you've been married 32 years, you know a lot of what you do together, you just survive, don't you? You just do work. You just do what's got to be done. And, and we miss out on just spending some time. I had an old guy tell me one time when we first got married, don't ever forget to date your wife because one of these days your kids are going to be grown and gone and you're going to be looking at a stranger again. And so we need to, we need to well, spend some time doing some things your husband likes to do. Number five, this is the last one for you ladies. Provide a peaceful place. Listen to what Proverbs 17.1 says. Better is a dry morsel with quietness than a house of full feasting with strife. Better is a dry morsel. He's talking about food. Better is a dry morsel with quietness. Let me, let me give that in our terms. Better is a baloney sandwich in quietness than a T-bone steak with strife. That's what that says. And, and think about this. Have you made your home a peaceful place? Would you say you've made your home a, a stress-reducing or a stress-producing place? And when we think about that, I know it's difficult to, to, to create a peaceful, loving environment, especially when there's two people working and two people busy. And I'm not in no way suggesting that it's the wife's sole responsibility to, to, to turn her house into a home. It, it's a team effort, but just remember this. The first few minutes when the husband walks into the door, don't, don't just unload and, and back up and, and just hit him with both barrels about, well, Jimmy was bad at school and uh, the sink's backed up and uh, the bank called and we're overdrafted and what are you going to do about these things? Make, make it a place of peace. Now, those are some things you have to cover, those are some things you have to deal with, but, but make at home a peaceful place. We'll talk more about how to fill in the blanks later. Now, now that's, that's your five, ladies. Now, men, here's your five. 1 Peter 3, 7 says this, Husbands, likewise, dwell with them, talking about wives, with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and being heirs together of the grace of life. Husbands, Likewise, he lists these things for wives. Then he says, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, 
giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel and being heirs together for the grace of life. Men, listen carefully. This may be the most important message you hear this year. If you want bonus points, pretend to be listening. If you want extra bonus points, take some notes down of what we're fixing to talk about because I believe these things are really important. Don't don't take your marriage for granted and don't take your mate for granted. I think men, sometimes we do that. We may need to even help around the house sometimes. As I said, I don't do everything on this list, but some men... Uh, actually believe that Adam, God looked at Adam and saw the clothes laying around in the garden and said, I'm going to have to create a woman to clean those things up. I mean, some people, some men, I think, believe that. One woman said the way that her husband, his ideal of helping out was to lift his feet as she vacuumed. You know, amen, men? Not a one. Now, I had a one from a lady. Okay. Here we go, men. Here's our, here's our five commandments. Assign top priority to your marriage relationship. Make that number one priority. Assign your top priority to your marriage relationship. Ephesians 5.25, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. We we, we need to love our wives as, as Christ gave himself. What did Christ do? If you go and study the life of Christ... When he walked upon this earth, he was devoted to the church. He was devoted to God, but, but to the church. I'm not talking about this building. I'm talking about the church who is the body of Christ. And the Bible says that the church is the bride of Christ. So, so Christ devoted himself to his bride. And, and he tells us, men, that's why I always remind us, men, we don't, we don't need to pump our chest out because we have some tough guidelines. And, and the Bible says... Give yourself as Christ gave himself for the church. So, guys, we need to put our relationship with our spouse back on the top list, back on the top of the shelf. And, and guys, where, where you think your wife would say you, you are, let me get that right, like, where would your wife say she is on your priority list? Now, wives, don't tell him right now, okay? Don't say you're about, I think I'm about nine. But I want you to think, where, where, would, where would you say that, that your wife would say she is on your priority list. Where should she be? Okay, she should be on top. You know, God's plan is that, that he would be the Lord of all of us, number one, and number two comes our relationship with our spouse, not our job, not even the church, but with our spouses. So, so she needs to be there on that priority list. Does she have a... Uh, does she, is she there for you? Number two, here's dare to talk. Dare to talk, give praise and reassurance. Look in the book of Proverbs 16, verse 25. Here are some wise words. Pleasant words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the bones. Those are words. Pleasant words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the bones. Have you ever witnessed two guys just trying to express himself kind of affectionately. What, what would two guys say? He might say something like, Hey, ugly, what's going on with you? And, and that guy might respond, Well, you know, nothing, gravy train. Or Did you get anything done today? I mean, that's kind of how guys... Guys, don't try that with your wife. You know, don't come in and go, Hey, ugly, how'd things go today? Because, 
she's not going to get that, that tender movement that your friend got at work today. It's probably not going to work out best for you. But pleasant words, like a honeycomb, we need to, we need to work at verbalizing, talking, and understanding our feelings for our wife. We need to learn to tell our wives how we feel. There's a story about a businessman whose wife was experiencing depression. She, she was moping around the house, feeling sad, lifeless. No light was in her eyes, no spring in her step. She was, she was joyless. It became so bad that the man didn't know what he was going to do. And he, he went and he took her to the doctor and uh, he made this appointment with his psychiatrist. On the appointed day, they went to the psychiatrist's office. He sat down they began to talk. And it wasn't long before the wise doctor realized what the problem really was. So without saying a word, he simply stood up. He walked over in front of the woman's chair. He signaled for her to stand. He took her by the hands. He looked in her eyes for a long time. He gave her a big, warm hug and uh, just held her there for a moment. And, and you could immediately see a change in her. Just immediately as, as he did those things, a, a change come over her face. It softened. Her eyes lit up. And me, immediately she relaxed. And her whole face was glowing. And, and stepping back, the doctor said to the husband, she needs that and she needs this at least a couple of times a week. And I've told you this. The husband said, okay, I can bring her on Tuesdays and Thursdays, but I play golf on the other days. You know, we, we, need to, we need to dare to give praise. We need to dare to give reassurance. We need to dare to talk. I heard a story about, about a man who shot another man for kissing a woman that he hadn't kissed in five years. His wife. Now, you have to mull that around in your mind a minute. But, but some couples are literally out of touch with each other. They're just literally out of touch. Number three. Listen without feeling the need to solve the problem. Is there any amens there? Listen without feeling the need to solve the problem. James 1.9, listen, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen and what? Slow to speak. Quick to listen and slow to speak. You know a common complaint from women is that their husbands don't listen to them and don't understand them. And, and men, on the other hand, we're bewildered sometimes. We say, well, of course I listen to you. Of, of course I listen. What typically happens is that the woman wants to talk about a problem, and they share how they're feeling about it, and the man wants to solve the problem. You know why that is? Because God created us that way. We, men are in their left brain, Okay. There's a comedian named Jeannie Robertson. Y'all ever listen to her? She calls her husband left brain. Because men, we really are in our left brain, and our left brain is problem solving. It's analytical thinking. And that's how men think. We think analytically. We, we come up to a situation, we see a problem, what do we do? We solve it. That's what we do. That's how we're wired. Women are in their right brain. Now, that don't mean they're right and we're wrong. They're on the other side, okay? They're in their right brain. You know what side of the brain that is? That's emotions. Now, science tells you, or people that say they know these, say women are in both sides of their brain, okay? So they, they reason problems emotionally first and then analytically. They, 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 they have a problem, and they, 
they emotionally they respond to that problem. What do men think? Don't respond emotionally. There's a yes, there's a black and a white. So when two start communicating, what's happening? A woman's wanting to give you this emotional uh, uh, conversation, and a man cuts it off and says, here's what you need to do. The conversation may go something like this. I had a terrible day at work today. Well, why don't you quit? Well, I don't want to quit. I just was wanting you to know that I had a hard day. Well, if you don't want my opinion, don't ask for it. Okay, I won't. Just forget it. Okay, I will. Now, to a man, you just had a conversation, didn't you? She brought me a problem. I gave her the solution. Conversation's over. To the woman, you didn't have any kind of conversation, did you? You came to talk about your terrible day. You don't want to know how to fix it. Now, if you want an opinion, she'll probably ask you for your opinion. But before she gets there, she's over in the right side of her brain emotionally talking about what happened today. And I think that's what are one of the big things in, in communication. That's the problem we have. So, so listen, men, without feeling the need to solve the problem. Number four, I've got to move quickly now. Avoid criticism. Avoid criticism. Proverbs 13, 3, He who guards his mouth preserves his life. But he who opens wide his lips shall have destruction. A man that constantly criticizes, that constantly puts down his partner, his wife, that, that produces numerous, numerous results in a in wife, and most of them are negative. A, a barrage of criticism, even if it's warranted, even if it's warranted, is always destructive. And criticism is area, it's, in, it's inedible in, in a lot of areas of our life. I mean, there's going to be some criticism come, but the less there is, the more satisfactory the marriage is going to be. I mean, it, it doesn't need to be. Just like men, you agreed she can't change you through criticism, through, through trying to direct you. We're not going to make any ground through the criticism to, the, to our wives. It, it just doesn't work that way. So, so avoid criticism. Here's the last thing, number five. Remember the importance of little things. We're in our left brain, men. Women are on their right brain. They're emotionally, they, that's not saying that's not a bad thing. That's how God created us. So, so they're more sentimental about things than men are sometimes. I just tell you, my wife told me I had a cold heart. Can y'all believe that? Because <laughs> we were talking about a pet. And I said, I can get rid of the pet. And she said, you're as cold hearted. <laughs> and I, less sentimental of that about things. But... But women touch value with things like birthdays, like, like anniversaries, like, like special event days. Women, are, women, they attach value to those things. And, and men, we need to remember the importance of those little things. I've told you all this story. I'm going to go ahead and finish it and tell you anyway again. But uh, Denise and I hadn't been married long. When I grew up, we weren't big on birthdays. We had birthday parties when we were kids, but... Once we got on up a little bit, we didn't, we didn't do anything for birthdays. You may have got a, a special meal or, or something, you know, but it was not anything big. Well, Denise and I were married, and uh, the day was just nearly over, and I remembered it's her birthday today. So I called Mama, and I said, Mama, I forgot Denise's birthday. Would you go buy her something, wrap it, put it in her car? We're going to leave. And when we come back, I'll give it to her. Mama said, okay, I got you covered. 
So we went wherever we went, and I played a lot of softball back then. I think we went to a softball game. We'd come home, took a shower, got in the bed, 11 o'clock. She said, I cannot believe you forgot my birthday. <laughs> and I said, I didn't forget it. <laughs> when the truth was, I forgot it twice in the same day. <laughs> uh, I said, I got it in your car out there. And boy, I was praying, Mom, I hope you came through. <laughs> and she did. But, but you know what? Uh, that, those special days, men don't forget those special notes. Those, those little things that, that go a little bit extra. Uh, when men don't place that much importance on those things, ladies do. And if you don't believe that, just ask them. Valentine's Day, Mother's Day... Christmas, all of those special occasions, those days. I heard a story, and it's my last story, about a husband. Uh, he was told by a marriage counselor some of the same things we're talked about today. He said, if you'll do these things, try being nice to your wife just for a week. So day one, he comes home from work. He dresses in a suit of clothes. He puts on cologne. He brings home a bouquet of flowers and a box of candy in his hand. He's trying to make a good impression. The wife says, oh, I cannot believe this. Johnny's been throwing up all day. The dishwasher's broke. Your parents are coming for a visit, and on top of all that, you come home drunk. <laughs> uh, now, now, for some of us, our wives would say that, wouldn't they? Out of all the things, out of all the days, but... But you know what, men, if, if we want to have that great marriage, ladies, if we want to have those great marriage, put some of these commandments in practice and just see what God can do with them. Just test God and say, okay, I don't really like those things, but I'll give it a try. And I believe if we give it a try, then we'll be surprised at the results. You know what? It's been said marriage is never finished. The lesson is never learned. The effort never comes to an end. Marriage is like life. It's a matter of solving the little things, and the big things generally take care of themselves. Would you bow with me this morning? Remember, we can focus on one person, and that's the only person we change is ourself.